On the show, we've done a few different episodes about distilling. And I think the reason is, is that in general, I'm just curious about it, though I've never really distilled anything. That being said, I have a guest today. His name's John Sajak. And we're going to talk to him about how he's creating these moonshine stills in New Hampshire that are handmade and out of copper. And we're going to do a deep dive into what the process is and how he's making these stills on homebrewing DIY. recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on this show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruising ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard-to-clean cruisin. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at ScrubberDuckies.com. Once again, head over to ScrubberDuckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, 
Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're going to talk to John Sajic, and we're going to talk to him about how he is making handmade stills in New Hampshire. We're also going to talk a bit about the distilling process and what that looks like. So if you're into distilling at all, this will be the show for you. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that the show can come to you week after week. I'd like to thank our newest patron, Andrew Sensen. And Andrew, thank you so much for signing up for Patreon. And I will say, if you would like to support the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingDIY. It's our supporters that keep this show coming to you week after week. Another way to support the show is head on over to coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewingDIY. And that's where you can give one-time support. Another way to support the show is to write us a review. You can use Apple Podcasts or you could write us a review on podchaser.com. Your reviews are going to help others find the show. And the last way to support the show is to use our sponsor banner. So head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer. And if you're going to do shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing or buy a brew bag or even sign up for the Brewfather software, use those links there, sign up, and they know that we sent you and they, in turn, then support the show. What's going on here in the brewery here at Homebrewing DIY I would say I got a ton going on. I, I, I'm i going to brew a batch of beer this week. I was planning on brewing with Ryan Packmeyer, but I, I kind of feel like right now, because of COVID, things are a little scary. And uh, I think me and the family are going to hunker down here for a while, just considering it's getting bad out there. So I will say to any of our listeners right now, stay safe. It's a scary time when it comes to what's going on with the current pandemic and, you know, brew some beer and enjoy it. This is a, the time to get into the hobby and really deep dive. And that that's really all I got to say. I think I'm going to do, I was planning on doing another pseudo logger and I think I might do that. And I might even do a two batch day because I, I do want to do some sort of Christmas beer or winter L might use that for gifts. So those are kind of what are in the planning. I will say that on our episode last week, we got a ton of feedback, and I'm excited to know that, and and we'll get into feedback at the end of the show, as we always do, but I do want to point out that we, we kind of talked about our Iron Beer Challenge, where we're going to have homebrewers send in beers, and we're going to do a tasting against classic examples of that style. We'll get a couple of BJCP judges, and those judges will judge your beer. We'll give you feedback live on the air with the brewer. And we're going to see if you can compare to the classic example in that style. Pretty excited to say that we've already had a couple of people respond to want to participate. So super excited. We'll have our first one coming up here next month in December. So keep an eye out for that show. Very, very excited. 
The last kind of announcement that I have that has to do with the show is it is getting close to the holidays. Thanksgiving is next week. And we are getting geared up for our homebrew hack show. That is the show where Evan from the Old Town Mash Paddlers and I get together once a year. And we're going to talk about how the different hacks and tips and tricks that homebrewers have. And we're going to read them live on the air. So if you have a, a tip or a trick or a hack or something you do to make your brew day easier, mail them to us. Head Just head over to homebrewingdiy.beer, fill out the contact form, and let us know what your homebrew hack is. Just put in there, homebrew hack. If you would like to just shoot us an email, you can send an email to podcast at homebrewingdiy. And in the subject line, just put homebrew hack. I'll save that away and we'll read them on the air. So very, very excited for the homebrew hack show. That is one of my favorite shows. And if you go back and look at the back catalog, the homebrew hack show is also one of our top listened to episodes. So definitely a favorite of our audience. So we will do that the last episode of 2020 will be our homebrew hack show so stay around for that let's jump into this week's show where we're going to talk to john over at the distilling network about moonshining with a copper still i'd like to welcome john zajak to homebrewing diy how you doing john good good thank you uh, we had some issues getting the audio to work and we're finally up and running. So thank you so much for coming on Homebrewing DIY. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, John is the owner and proprietor of the Distillery Network. They're out of Manchester, New Hampshire. And tell us a bit about what you do with the Distillery Network. Uh, we make copper moonshine stills, traditional Appalachian style moonshine stills. <clears throat> We're up here in New Hampshire, uh, 45 minutes north of Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, a lot of people buy our product to make alcohol, but they're actually used for a wide variety of things. Um, like I said, the majority of our customers make moonshine. Um, and moonshine can be made from many different um, fermentable materials. But um, a lot of people are using our product to make their own hand sanitizer, uh, distilled water, essential oils, fragrances, perfumes. The list goes on and on. Yeah, I, I was looking on your website and I was blown away at all of the different uses for your stills. I, I like that you had an entire section for preppers. I, I thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thanks yeah. for thanks for looking. Yeah. And I noticed that when you were you you specifically talked about things like when we talked on the phone and I got your voicemail, you were saying that you've had a lot of demand for hand sanitizer. Is that right? Yeah, actually, uh, police, fire, the Department of Homeland Security, larger um, construction companies all around have been calling nonstop for hand sanitizer. I actually just make moonshine stills. I don't make the hand sanitizer. So the home use people that need the hand sanitizer those are the customers that have been coming our way as well to buy our product. So not only can you make al alcohol, you can use that alcohol to make your own hand sanitizer. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, hand sanitizer for a long time, which I can now get in a grocery store. It's November and we can still get it. We'll we'll see in a couple of months as the pandemic is raging again. But the idea is that 
you can actually buy hand sanitizer again. But for a minute there, I would say last spring, it was the top thing to get in the United States. And I'm sure, what, what was that like for you guys? Don't forget too, just a few years ago, a gallon of water in Houston, Texas with the floods was a hundred dollars a gallon. I didn't even think about that. Didn't even think about that. And, and you know, being yeah. able to well, take it is that. a shame that people are, you know, hoarding and price gouging, but that is the day that we, and time that we're living in here. It's great to be self-reliant and having a tool like this can keep you prepared in case of a natural disaster, worst case scenario. Yeah. And, and that's actually a, a case for a still that I've never thought about, but Hey, we're, we're all homebrewers on this show. And if we're going to, I would say that if anybody listening to this show is looking at getting a still, the chances are they're probably going to use it to make alcohol that they can consume. And then all of the other benefits are going to be a side thing because they're going to be like, Hey, I got a still, I can do this. Well, it's funny you say that. Yeah. It's funny you say that because my recipe to make moonshine is actually to go to the store and I buy the highest percentage alcohol by volume. And I go back and distill it through my moonshine still. And it does come out hoppy. But I like the the flavor. I and mean, I actually hide it a little bit with the vanilla bean. So it's not too hoppy. That's oh. a great, uh, great way to, easy way to make moonshine. A lot of people think I'm a rocket scientist for <laughs> brewing moonshine, uh, moonshine out of beer. But I'm just looking at a beer can and I say, oh, that's 5% alcohol by volume. All my customers buy their moonshine stills and they try to get 15, 20% alcohol by volume in their, in their still to distill. Why can't we just distill beer? So I tried it and I've been having great success. And I, like I said, I hide the, the beer flavors and the beer smell that still carries over. I hide that with the vanilla bean and it's an awesome recipe. But I challenge all my customers to make their own recipes. Brandy, as you might know, brandy is actually distilled wine. And and kind of one of the cool things when we think about the, the fact that beer can be distilled, it, it's kind of one of those things where if you take a 5% beer and you distill it, right, all you're doing is getting rid of everything but that 5% of alcohol, right? So it, you're going to need a lot more beer at a 5% beer to get less alcohol than if you have a 10% beer, you're going to have more alcohol left over for the same volume of beer. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. And that, that made me think of something. There's a state representative that contacted us here a couple of years ago because there was a bill being introduced to make distilling legal. And that actually one of his talking points to his bill was, listen, when people have wine and they make, they make wine, you guys are letting people make wine. Well, all we're doing is we're taking the alcohol that's in the wine and we're stripping it out. We're not creating more alcohol. We already have the alcohol in the wine or the beer. We're just using Mother Nature's different boiling points to separate the alcohol from the water. So that was actually his talking point where the alcohol is already in there. It's not like we're making more. You know, we can measure it. We know how much is in this wine. Why can't the American citizen on their own accord uh, rip that alcohol out of the beer or out of the wine and do whatever they want with it. Yeah, Which I, you can I, do a lot more than getting drunk. You can run your own lawnmower. If you set up right your car engine, you can heat your house with it. There's plenty of things you can do with the alcohol. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I want to kind of point out here and something we should mention, distilling alcohol for consumption is still illegal in the United States. 
it is a federal offense. If you get busted doing it, you could possibly go to jail. That being said, there's a lot of people that are doing it and they're not doing it to sell it or anything like that. Just like a home brewer for a long time, home brewers in the 1970s were brewing beer at home and it was illegal. My grandfather brewed beer when he was, when I was a way before I was ever born and made wine. And all of that was illegal until 1978. And so in all reality, all it would take is somebody to change the law to allow home distilling. And all of a sudden, boom, it would be a legal thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think they could make a lot of money if they, if they legalized it and kept track. When I first started the industry, we were asked in this industry, we were asked from the TTB, the government agency that keeps track of all this stuff to report sales we did for our first quarter and then they sent a letter back saying yep thanks for reporting you don't have to report anymore but please keep the stuff on file and they never came back since that was in 2014. what i assume uh, this is just me nobody told me this but what i assume is that they realized oh crap this market is huge we're never going to be able to keep track of this plus what are they going to really do knock down the doors and steal the person's moonshine still and arrest everybody for you know i think that the Government agencies have a lot more, uh, bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And, is, what, and, is what I was thinking. Yeah. And uh, what I would say to somebody who's thinking about distilling, if you're doing it for yourself or personal consumption, you're not flaunting it out everywhere. You're not trying to sell it. I, I think the chances of you getting caught are probably pretty low. Oh, yeah. Like my father always says, partners are for dancing. Exactly. Exactly. shouldn't be telling anybody what you're doing. I, I recommend that to my customers all the time. Oh, me and my buddy, this and that. And I just tell them to just do it yourself. Yeah. You're, you're walking in the gray area. I call this the bong of alcohol. So it's just like a, a tobacco bong or a tobacco pipe. If you put marijuana in it, it then becomes illegal. But you know, that's why we're able to get away with it. Nobody's came knocking down our door because they're essentially water distillation units. And I always say it would be a shame if somebody told us that we can't have a water distillation unit. Now, if my customers are going and making moonshine and selling it, that they're obviously da- dodging taxes and that's bad. But what they're supposed to do, what everybody in America is supposed to do is get a registration within their local town. And I'm actually hearing that the process is much faster than it has been. Maybe that's because everybody getting it because for the hand sanitizer, I don't know. But each town and city is different. You have the guy or girl come to your place and he says, yes, this is a safe place to distill as per our codes or no, you cannot distill here. Now, I don't know the specifics of the, the regulations, but basically it's an ethanol fuel permit. People are getting a permit to make their own ethanol. And what they're doing, obviously, is drinking it after the fact. Now, there's another permit you can get to actually become a distillery where you pay a percentage based off of the alcohol by volume that you're selling to the general public. I don't know the specifics on that either. I'm more just a manufacturer of the moonshine still is trying to save the planet one moonshine still at a time. <laughs> I like that you're saving the planet one shine moonshine still all the time. Well, Thank you. Mo- most of the people that listen to the show are homebrewers, right? And I'm sure... There, I, I know that I've done a couple shows on distilling. I, I've had, you know, barley and hops from YouTube over on the show, and we, we've definitely talked about distilling. But I want to talk as if, hey, I, I'm a home brewer. I've never even thought that this was something I could do. Obviously, we talked about the fact that you can take beer and distill it. But in, in looking at your stills, these are, these are really, really high quality stills. They're 100, mo- 
they're 100% copper for the most part. I think you also do stainless steel as well. But the idea is, let, let's let's kind of start there in the material. What's the difference between like copper and a stainless steel still? Well, uh, the difference between copper and a stainless steel still, there's a couple different things. One is magic. The copper actually rips out the sulfates, makes the alcohol taste better. But before we go uh, further, I can't really take too much credit. My father actually got me in the industry. His website's Stephen Stills, S-T-I-L-L-Z.com. It's his design. What happened was uh, I was working with him and I said, Dad, listen, you want to build the big stills. I want to. I see a huge opportunity with the small ones, the small little countertop stills. You know, and I asked him if I could build in my own shop. He said yes, and he takes a small cut. So the difference between these stainless and the copper ones the stainless are more durable. They're much easier to clean. They do not oxidize like the copper ones. But if you want to replicate a traditional moonshiner, a true traditional Appalachian style moonshine still is copper. The copper rips out the sulfates or essentially the sulfur and makes the alcohol taste better. There are things you can do with a stainless steel still, like packing the tower with copper mesh that will rip the sulfur out too. But I always say, and I'm willing to bet the farm on it, all stainless steel units in the United States are imported. It's very hard to build the stainless ones. I want to one day if we get the right machines, but unfortunately they're all imported. So we do uh, focus on the copper ones, the ones that we can make by hand here in New Hampshire. Yeah, and your copper stills are made by hand. I when we talked last week, I I heard you telling people what to do in the shop because you guys are getting your hands dirty actually making these stills, right? Oh yeah, I mean I don't I didn't want to divulge too much about myself personally, but let's just say I used my dog as a pillow, and I've been living here at the shop with big guns to protect my customers' assets from the crackheads <laughs> in my city. And you can follow me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash distillery net distillery net. And you can see our, all, all of our cool videos and me protecting the shop from all the crackheads in the city. That's awesome. Yeah, de- we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes so that people can check it out. So let, let's talk a bit about, for example, I'm looking at an image of your still right here, right now in front of me. And it, it's, why don't you walk me through the process? It looks like it, it's kind of like it's got three main containers there. And, and yes, can sir. you explain to me what, what each one of those are and what their kind of function is? Yes, sir. The first one is the pot. That's the biggest one on the left-hand side. That's where the alcohol or the mash or the beer or whatever you want to distill goes in there. <laughs> Everything's soldered. So the bottom soldered. you got to be careful. You should, you, should only, you should always strain your mash. You can't just put whatever in there and put flame underneath it. You should always have liquid in there. The bottom will fall out if you don't have liquid inside so that's the main vessel where you're going to be uh putting the alcohol it's going to get heated underneath that is going to be a propane burner any turkey fryer burner and don't underestimate the power of flame a lot of guys go and try to get a 200,000 btu burner you don't need it you need an 8,000 btu burner you want to go slow and steady going too fast is actually going to make the alcohol have more h2o carryover more water carryover and it's going to get a lower proof you want to go slow you want to go steady so the flame is going to make it distill the flame is going to make it so mother nature utilizes her different boiling points of water and alcohol 
Alcohol distills off at a lower temperature than water does. Water, 212, alcohol around 170. I don't know. I'm not a pro. I just make the moonshine stills. But <laughs> what happens is when you put that flame underneath the moonshine still, and it essentially distills, whether you're distilling the alcohol, distilling water, whatever temperature at, when that steam travels up, when that liquid turns to a steam form, the steam travels through the system. The piece in the middle is called a thumper. That is not a mandatory piece. It's an optional piece. Think of that as a double purification unit. You don't need flame underneath it, and it still works. We can get to that after, the, specific, the specifics of that after. But the, uh, the steam will continue to travel through the thumper and into the worm, the final piece all the way to the right. The worm needs to be cool at all times because what you're doing is taking that steam and condensing it back down to a uh, liquid again. So you went from a liquid, then you went to a steam, back down to a liquid again. The liquid, everybody thinks that you need to have ice-cold water. You really just need to have it be cooler than the steam, and it essentially will condense back down to a liquid. Now you're going to collect that liquid based off of what you're doing. If you make an alcohol, you're going to want to uh, take out the uh, one ounce per gallon so if you have a six gallon still you want to take out one ounce per gallon so six ounces you'd take out and you don't want to drink that stuff that has all the dirty stuff in it you want to stay away from that none of my customers have went blind nobody called me up saying the cops busted their door down but one thing is for sure i've always told myself that hey keep a close eye on this market keep a close eye on your customers the worst thing i've had is what angry wives call me up saying hey my my husband's passed out on the floor. Thanks a lot, buddy. You know, so people people really should be careful with their moonshine stills and don't underestimate anything that's going into it. And actually, on my Facebook page, I intentionally blew one up in my shop just to see what would happen. The thing took off like a rocket ship. You can see that. That was probably three months ago, maybe July, August. And uh, to speak about the craftsmanship, we actually... I threw one off the roof, three stories, and all in the same video, ran it just to prove how strong our stills really are. So in regards to blowing it up, you have to really clog up the still. It's kind of hard to clog the still up, but it is still something you have to be considerate about. You know, If you have your still in your garage and you have your kids playing around all week and then you go on one weekend and mess around with your still, you want to make sure they didn't step on that coil. You, you want to make sure they didn't kink something because it, it, it could burn your house down. Other than that, it really is a uh, fun project. I've been having uh, an awesome time actually distilling after all of these years. Building the moonshine stills, actually distilling myself has been a really good success it's not as hard as people think but it is really hard to get fine tasting shine you know anybody can distill and make alcohol but there's really an art to it and you can check out the new show on discovery channel called master distillers and those guys it's kind of like three contestants three judges and they judge the contestants based off how well of a moonshiner they are so there's a lot of eyeballs on the marketplace right now, a lot of eyeballs on the industry. And like I always say, <clears throat> we're in the distiller's renaissance. Yeah, we, we kind of are. And and let's let's talk a bit about some tips and tricks of the difference between like, hey, I, I can get some 
alcohol or some sort of uh, mashed beverage that I've I've put into the the mash and start to distill. And I've I've been with some friends when they've distilled, and I know that they've had good batches and bad batches, right? And as they've as they've done it over time, they've gotten better. What would be some tricks you would give to a beginner to say, hey, here are some things, some some mistakes to not make today that are just going to help you make better shine? Yeah, that's a good question. Way more research than you'd want to do. A lot of guys, and I, I see it a lot with my easy kits. I have a skew where the customer actually builds it themselves. They don't even look at the directions. You know, everybody just wants to just go fast, fast, fast. So when you're distilling, you really want to go slow, slow, slow. The whole mash making process, we kind of skipped over that because I do the, the the fast way with distilling beer. A real moonshiner makes his own mash. The simple mash is the sugar, water, and yeast, but there's, if not hundreds of thousands of different variations. There's a lot of different ways to make mash. And, you know, studying people's failures is going to save you a lot of time. So that's the biggest thing is, you know, as much research as possible you're going to want to put into it because all you're going to do is end up with a bad batch or with some bad mash. The mash, I, I hear you a lot on the, the beer brewing podcast talking about temperatures as well, having to, how it's very important. Same thing with making the mash. So if you have a lot of things going on in your life and, you, and you're also trying to distill and you got everybody, you know, kind of like my dog right now that needs me, it's definitely good to, to go slow and steady instead of uh, just rushing right in. I see a lot of guys going after an 80 gallon moonshine still, and I'm sure they use it way less than they would if they just got a 10 gallon one. Everybody thinks it's, you know, bigger is better. I personally just use a one gallon still myself. I always say a 15 gallon is borderline commercial grade. And uh, so that would, I guess that would be my second thing. Don't go too big, but also <clears throat> don't limit yourself. That's why we offer the upgraded thumper and worm kits. So on a six, all the way up to a 30, it's the same size thumper and worm. So if they buy a six and they want to upgrade to a 30, they don't have to get another complete set. They can just get a, a 30 gallon pot and run it. Oh, okay. And, and just kind of talking about the mash a bit and you were talking about like sugar wash, right? Sugar wash is, I would say when, when I've read, distilling forums, I would say, uh, agree. It's probably the number one type of mash that I see out there specifically with shiners. And one of the things that they always talk about are things like the pH crashes and it can stall out the, the, the fermentation on that. Right. And so it, you, you can't just think that you're going to add sugar, water and yeast and walk away from it. You still have to kind of manage that entire process. Right. Yeah. It's all temperature based. And, yeah. and the time, you know, a lot of a lot of times, if you pull it too too soon or too late, you should be checking your mash alcohol by volume with a hydrometer, a low proof hydrometer. And ideally, you know, please forgive me. I'm like I said, I'm not a pro, but ideally, you want to be shooting for anywhere between ten and twenty percent. You can get higher using turbo yeasts, but it's really hard to keep a nice flavor with the turbo yeast. There's a couple things you can do. To save that flavor and make it so it doesn't get destroyed with the turbo yeast. The turbo yeast will work in like two days compared to a regular mash fermenting process, which would take seven or ten. Okay. And and you kind of want to man and managing things like the pH and making sure that the temperatures are right are gonna help that, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 
And then once you've got your kind of, let's say 15% of alcohol by volume uh, liquid, or if you have, like you said, you just go buy a 12% beer, right? Go get one of the big ones, like a big stout or something like that. And you take it back and you throw it in the distill into the still. What, what you talked about that you're going to try to get that 170 temperature. So the idea, and just, I've never actually stilled. I've, I've kind of watched somebody do it before and, and, and just, you know, you're going to have to walk me through it a bit, but the idea here is, is that keeping it at 170 actually makes it so that you're boiling the alcohol off, but you're not boiling the water off. Right. That, and that's kind of what you're trying to do. Yes. Yeah. So what I recommend anytime you run a still crank it up until she starts to drip. As soon as she drips, check the temperature gauge on your still. Write that temperature gauge down. Uh, write that temperature down that's showing on the gauge. And that's pretty much your sweet spot. You want to keep it around that point because that's that initial point where it starts to drip. That's the alcohol that's coming out. Okay. And then yep. you, 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 you get it to that point and, and it could vary because obviously depending on where your temp probe is, right. And, and that kind of stuff, you're, you're not, you're not going to get it. Like, for example, let's say it starts to drip and the temperature reading on, on your, your gauge is like 180. That doesn't mean that everything is 180 inside. Is that right? Uh, so, so if you're at 180 and it starts to drip, um, what you're going to want to do is just keep it around that. If you go too high, the, the higher you go in, in temperature on that gauge from that point, yeah. the more likely it is that you're going to be carrying over water as well. Yeah. And then you don't have as you, you basically have less distillate essentially. Right. You'll still pull out, you'll still pull out the alcohol, but it's going to be mixed with water. So it's not going to be as potent. It's not going to be as strong. Yeah. And then when once you've once you've kind of hit that sweet spot, it goes through the thumper and then it, it cools down and and you talked about the first runnings or I think they call those the heads, is that right? The four shots. Yeah, the four shots, thank you. And then and then from that point point, kind of I know that there's like heads, hearts, tails. Well, why don't you kind of Talk to me about that because that's actually I'm, part of I'm distilling. Not, I don't I'm understand. Not a, I'm not a pro. Like I said, I just distill beer. Yep. But the four shots, that's the stuff you don't want to drink, to my knowledge. The heads, the hearts, and then the tails. The hearts is the good stuff. The tails is when it starts tailing off, like you start losing your ABV. Let's say you're at you're pumping out 140 proof, 130, 120. One time. That's when you're going to start seeing less alcohol come out and more water come out. So that's why they call it the tails, the tail end. Okay. Oh, the okay. four shot, that's the one ounce per gallon. So on a 20 gallon still, you're going to want to do 20 ounces. When I when I did it, I just play it safe. I just do double whatever they say. You know, because I'm, I'm not really an aficionado. I don't need to get the highest proof everything. So I figured whatever, if I waste a little bit of extra, little extra, it's not a big deal. Better be safe than sorry, you know? Awesome. And then, and then the heads are kind of like your, the, the first things that come out and do they, they have a different flavor than the hearts? Is that, I, like I said, I'm not a professional distiller. I believe that you'll get different flavor profiles from the heads going to the hearts, but not as much going from the hearts to the tails, but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. And then a couple of other 
questions I would have for you is that I was looking on your website and you guys have a ton of blogs and instructions for beginners, right? Uh, yes. Would, would, would you recommend going there? Would you recommend your, your YouTube channel? Would you recommend your Facebook channel? If I were a beginner wanting to kind of figure it out, where, where, where would I go to interact with you guys to learn how to distill better and use your systems? Oh, that's a good question. So the blogs are not really a great spot, in my opinion, to get everything you need to know about distilling. Of course, a blog on my website is going to be more towards my product, etc. I recommend for overall general information, I recommend YouTube videos all day, all night for a month. Just okay. constantly listening, listening, listening. And then get into a book or two if you're that type of guy. But I think that I've done it myself. After the, the YouTube videos, you'll be fine to at least get started. I feel like the books are more for step two. Okay. I think that it's okay. I think it's okay for people to go ahead and jump in and try it without actually reading a book and just doing videos. Now, in regards to where I would like my customers to go, I personally would rather somebody call us directly uh, if they have specific questions. The website, in my opinion, is not really set up as a informational, hey, uh, go here and listen, look at this, go here and look at that, and then you'll know everything. If you're looking for that, I have the secret sauce. It's a article I sniped a long time ago. I can share it with you. Um, wanted to give me a minute. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. It's from Australia, and it's called the Liquor... Liquorman's Guide, L-I-K-K-E-R-M-A-N-S Guide, Liquorman's Guide, Guide to Distilling. It's really hard to find. I, I can't even find it online anymore, but it goes over everything, sterilization, fermenting of alcohol. It really is a one-stop shop. So if you have some time, to, if you're really looking for the creme de la creme, take it from me, you're looking for the Liquorman's Guide. It came out of Australia in 2001 is when it was when it was made. But uh, the art and process of distillation, in my opinion, should be 90% what you want to put into it and 10% of everybody else. Because in my life, I've always seen there's a million different ways to do the same thing. Yep. So a lot yep. of guys get wrapped up in, oh, well, this person said this, this person that said that, blah, blah, blah. The thumper is supposed to be this size, et cetera, et cetera. You never know until you try. And you know, I feel like if you jump in first and then get everybody's opinions, you're, you're not going to get swayed as easily. Yeah. Cause you've, yeah. you've kind of gone through the process and, and, and seen what happens on the other side of it. Right. And then when yep. somebody references something, you're like, yeah, yeah, that didn't really happen to me. And you know, my way's working. Right. And yeah, I, I don't know. To me, that's kind of what I love about distilling is it's, it's, it's as much art as it is science just like homebrewing is. And when you look at, it's kind of a, it's, it's a blend of those two, right? It's the art of cooking yet the science of cooking. And it's, and in the end you end up with an alcoholic beverage that you could turn into pretty much any alcoholic beverage. You can make vodka out of it. You can make whiskey out of it. You can make rum. You can do whatever you want, but it's kind of crazy to think about all of the art that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I've met distilleries that do a lot of bottles per year. And I asked them, oh, 
how long do you do uh, infuse your flavors? And they say, oh, 24 hours, buddy, in the door and out the door. We don't care. You know, and like <laughs> when you're when you're actually making it for yourself in your own in the comfort of your own home, it's much different than going to the store. You'll yeah. never be able to replicate the stuff that you make yourself. The stuff at the store, I'll never buy a bottle again from the store for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so if I different. were to if I were to try to you know get in touch with you and your team, where where would I, where would I go? Should I go to your website? Yeah, the website the distillery network dot com, and my phone number six zero three nine nine seven six seven eight six for general questions or inquiries. If you're looking for more information, I really would recommend those Facebook groups and in the file section. So go on Facebook, type in moonshine or distilling. The group that we have is called Home Moonshiners. I think it's around 38,000 members. And on the files section, I've had my team constantly uploading all the information that you guys are looking for in the files section. And I believe all the stuff's branded, you know, it has recipes in there and it has uh, my logo on there and all that stuff. So even though it's not actually on my website, it's still a great place. And, you know, it's not just my information, too. It's uh, a bunch of files uploaded from everybody else, too. So definitely check that out. Home Moonshiners group and the files section. I believe it's on the left-hand side. Yeah, and I am a member of the Home Moonshiners group. So, uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm, yeah. The ad- I'm the admin there. I was the guy that created that. I Like I said, I'm curious. I'm always – I've I've read – moonshining and distilling forums for the last two years and still haven't pulled the trigger yet. <laughs> so, well, you definitely have to go with the distillery. You definitely have to go with the distillery network with the most hated moonshine still company on the planet. Cause we have the best prices, the highest quality and the realest owner. You can call them direct anytime. You know, there's going to be a point one day where we get too busy and I won't be able to answer the phone for everybody. But as of now, you definitely can still call me direct and get in touch with the owner and, and talk directly about your order and then also check the status as well. Yeah, I can we have a, we a have lot smaller have businesses, businesses I can't do that to right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We do have a customer service line, another Skype phone number and stuff when things get crazy, but I am able to handle it. I got three full-timers here and we have 10 off-site facilities thanks to COVID. And I said, you know what? If everybody wants to work from home, fine, I'll let them. And I actually put an all call out to our past customers. And I asked, hey, if you want to build the moonshine still, I'll train you. So that's been going on for the past couple months. And I'm really excited to talk about our new shipping terms. You know, once everything's all set up, we'll be able to ship these uh, units out much faster than we have been already. So um, that's going to be uh, news for 2021 coming from the Distillery Network. That's awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you, John, for taking the time to come on the podcast and you know talk to us about your skills and the process of of making moonshine. And I I'd love to have you back on the show another time. So maybe when you come out with a new product and you want to share it, please reach out to me. I'd love to have you. Well, back. well, I have a I already have a bunch of stuff to talk about. The cool. flame flow patented moonshine still. Uh, so we have a patent on our moonshine still that heats up in half the time. And I wanted to tell you, the, in my opinion, the most important fact that I've found about moonshine. Around the time that hospitals implemented their own moonshine stills in their own hospitals, you know, to make their own antiseptics, you can actually see it on a chart. The mortality rate of the country greatly reduced around those years that the distillation units were being used in-house at the hospitals instead of relying for the antiseptic outhouse 
So you can actually see it on a chart, the mortality rate of the country great, greatly reducing. Moonshine stills in everybody's houses could save the planet, in my opinion. Well, you know, you're going to you're going to make a, you're going to give it a shot to make a still for everybody that wants one, aren't you? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we have the uh, the easy kit skew so people can actually awesome. solder it themselves, the lower price point. And then, uh, like I said, the flame flow, which is really cool. That saves time. And we also have a, a line from the veteran shiner, Josh Owens. If you've ever watched the show Moonshiners, yep. we have a line of moonshine stills from Josh Owens. The six-pack, the 12-pack, and the 30-rack model, actually beer-related. So it fits a six-pack, fits a 12-pack, or a 30-pack you know, volume size capacity. And that can be found on our website as well. And uh, Josh is a really cool guy. I got to meet him personally. And um, he's an awesome moonshiner. Awesome. And then as far as, you know, if I were to say, uh, and I'm actually sitting here looking at your website right now, and, and you you guys have stills all the way from a couple hundred dollars up to a couple thousand dollars when it when it comes to what you want to do. So really any budget is going to work with you guys, right? Yes. Yes. Um I recommend the the smaller ones to get started the $400 price point. But it's all, you know, if you're going commercial and you want something big, we can go up to 300 gallons. The biggest one we've ever done is 300 gallons. Wow. That's a that's a lot of booze. And you know, you can check you can check our prices out. We have very competitive pricing. Uh so it's almost unbelievable. It's because I'm the only one that's willing to admit that it's not that hard to build a moonshine still and it's not that much copper. It's like 150 bucks to make a 300 gallon moonshine still. It's it's every all these other guys are ripping everybody off and you can trust the distillery network to give you guys the highest quality product at the lowest possible prices. Awesome. Well, I will put links to the Distillery Network. I will put links to his Facebook group. And I will also, I'll, I'll even list your phone number in there. So if somebody wants to give you a call, they might give you a call from, from the show. And, yeah, please uh, do. Thank, thanks yeah. for having me. I really no, appreciate it's my, it. And it's my pleasure. Hey, like I said, John, if you ever want to come back on the show, please let me know. And it was great having you on Homebrewing DIY. For sure. Thank you. Have a good night. Awesome. All right, bye. Well, I want to thank uh, John for coming on the show, and now it's time to dive into some feedback, and then we'll wrap the show up. So first piece of feedback that I received was from Jared Rudd, and he sent me a message on Facebook, and this is the message he sent. Okay, so I'm looking to consolidate my brewing process. I would like to get away from bottling and using a carboy for my fermentation. So I plan on buying four corny kegs, two for fermenting and two for serving. And since I typically brew two separate batches simultaneously, reducing my brewing equipment substantially, the turnaround isn't the problem since I've normally drank both batches before the next is ready to carbonate. I can't seem to find any in-depth videos or articles on keg fermentation and any recommendations or tips or tricks would be greatly appreciated. Well, thank you for Jared for sending this message and here's some feedback I'd like to give you. So first of all, when you are fermenting in a keg, there's not really a lot you have to do. There, there are a couple things I would say to do. First of all, what you want to do is you want to get a, 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 a 
a keg connector for your gas post and and put a, a piece of a tube on there and put that into a growler or some sort of container for a blow-off t- tube with some sanitizer in it. I think that doing a blow-off tube is going to be an easy way. You can also get a spunding valve that would fit on there as well if you wanted to ferment under pressure. Either way is going to work. The blow-off tube is obviously going to be the least expensive, whereas a spunding valve is going to cost you about 40 bucks. The next thing I would recommend is... And something that I do all the time is getting, and what I do in, with my personal kegs that I ferment in, is getting a floating dip tube. And the reason I recommend the floating dip, dip tube is it, it, for a couple reasons. First of all, when you are racking out of the keg into another keg, so you're trying to move your beer over to your serving keg, you're not worried about having to suck up a bunch of yeast and hop particulate in your into your into your serving keg. So that would be another recommendation. If you do have a dip tube or don't want to get a fluting dip tube and you have like an older keg, another thing you can do is just take a dip tube and cut an inch off the bottom and then you're just high enough to where you wouldn't be sucking that up as well. So either way is going to work, but those would be kind of some trips tips or tricks I would use for fermenting in a keg. Other than that, Jared, thank you so much for your feedback. Here's another piece of feedback that I received on the website. And this one is from Julian Dahl. Julian wrote to me, Hey, I just found your podcast and I'm really enjoying it so far. I had a question about ferment track. Can I set it up to regulate two beers at different temperatures? Can you program two different PID configurations tied to separate sensors, etc.? Is that just a matter of an additional Raspberry Pi? My current setup is that I have a chest freezer, two heat straps, and two inkbirds, and I want to be able to brew a lager and an ale simultaneously, and by setting the freezer on the one heater to lager the inkbird and the other one to on the heater for the ale. Do you think the ferment track would be able would be a more elegant solution for that type of setup? So, first of all, Julian, I I got to be honest. I don't think that ferment track or any of those PID style style controllers are going to work for what you're trying to do. And the reason I'm going to say that is that you're trying to do a single fermentation cham- chamber to try to do two different temperatures. And you're going to really struggle with getting your temperatures to work out properly. And the reason is, is that just the nature of the PID controller, the PID controller has to have refrigeration and heat for a single vessel, because what you're trying to do is essentially get it so that it doesn't have swing either way. And that's how you get that 10th of a degree of control. The one thing that Ferment Track it does really well and I think is an elegant solution for is multiple fermentation chambers. So one thing that you might be able to do is get another type of ch- chamber. So, you know, get a couple of dorm fridges that might be able to fit your fermenters in them, something that might fit a keg, let's say, for example, if you're going to ferment in that. And then what you're going to want to do is 
the cool thing about ferment track is it actually is built for multiple fermentation chambers. So for example, you would just need to add an additional ESP 8266 to the mix. So for example, one raspberry Pi with ferment track installed is going to be able to flash and operate and track multiple fermentation chambers as well as multiple tilts or ice spindles, which are in the system and be able to have those go into a single server. So that that's really the solution that Ferment Track can do and does pretty well. It does that I think a little bit better than the Brew Pie or the Brew Pie Remix, but you know that is the way it works. But as far as being able to get one fermentation chamber with two different temperatures, like one heated and one cooled, I think you're going to struggle finding really any solution to that. Uh, I think that the right solution would be to get multiple fermentation chambers and then instead of using a big chest freezer maybe just get a couple of small fridges and that should be able to get you multiple temperatures for multiple beers and that is it for feedback this week and thanks for listening to the show First of all, I'd like to thank John for taking the time to come on this week's show. It's always great to learn a little bit about distilling. And like I said, it's not a subject that I know a ton about, but you know, I'm learning and maybe one day I will throw something in a still and make some sort of spirits. Well, you can always find the show on any of our social media. Head on over to at Homebrewing DIY. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also at Homebrewing DIY on TikTok. I've made a few posts there. I, I just don't think TikTok's really for me right now, but yeah, you never know. I might dive in and do that one a little bit deeper. Also want to throw out there that I have started a new podcast that you can check out. It's called The Prototype. It's actually my original first podcast I ever did back in 2009. I've reposted my old episodes and I'm going to start making some new ones. A much far less cadence than you're getting this show and very different than this show. It's going to be more of an audio documentary style show. But if it's something that you want to listen to, you can head on over to prototyperadio.studio and check out that website and subscribe to the show. Well, that's it. And we'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY. <laughs>